Right, I'm just going to finish this cracker and then... Mmm! <laughs> Brilliant. Oh, what? That's This is good quality audio right now. It's ASMR, yeah. Mmm. Hold on, I need water now. Right, sorry. Oh, the folly of the dry cracker. Mm. Right, I'm good. Are, are you sure? Yeah. Okay, all cracker, all residue of cracker gone. Yeah. Hey up, I'm Joe Heathcote, and this is Consistently Eccentric, a British history podcast where we try to make sense of some of the lesser known and more absurd people and events these islands have produced. So let's get started with... So I'm not going to start it the traditional way. Okay. Because everyone knows that the guillotine was first proposed in 1789, when Dr. Joseph Guillotin, a man who was vocally opposed to capital punishment, because... Right, so, hold on. Mm? He he was anti-capital punishment, oh, yeah, yet he designed the guillotine. He came up with the idea for the guillotine, and he was invited to be on the committee that designed it, because they needed, like, a carpenter um, to actually do the nuts and bolts. He came up with the principle. Oh, okay, so he was, yeah, okay. So he, he was the brain Entrepreneur, yeah. yeah he was fine. the blue sky thinker. Joseph believed that as long as the death sentence was still an option, an automated means of killing would be more reliable and humane for the unfortunate souls who were still subject to the barbaric practice than what was, you know, a random, probably quite drunk bloke swinging away with his axe. I agree. I I think they took something and they mechanised it and made it more efficient. Oh, definitely. If I was going to have my head cut off, I would prefer to have it done in France... With, uh, with the machine. With the guillotine. So you don't uh, want the then... artisanal uh, effect of a, a free swinging axe? No, what, when they miss your head and... Nah. Miss your head and... <laughs> what, just, just embed it in your skull? It's just, yeah, it's just hanging off. Also, like like I think we've spoken about before, I'd like the long drop rather than the short drop if I was to be... You'd rather um, run the risk of the head popping off completely than slow strangulation. I, I can appreciate that. Yeah. Well, the other benefit of this device, the guillotine, was that it would ensure truly equal justice for everyone, as it could be used for rich and poor, so there wouldn't be that disconnect between, you know, the rich get their head chopped off, the poor get hung. It's like, no, everybody just... That's you. Doesn't matter what you were in life, in death, you are going to be separated from your head at high speed. I think that's fair. Now... Equal rights? Oh, yeah. I'm I'm all for equal rights, although Mm -hmm. you feel like it would be a hollow victory if you were a relatively poor person being led up to the guillotine that, yay, at least I'm getting the same death as the lords and the king. Diamond encrusted. (laughs) Oh, yes. (laughs) Get out the special axe for the rich. You know, like we used to like uh, change our mobile phone covers (laughs) for our personality. Would it be like that? Could you do like a custom blade or something? Uh, Attach the posh person's blade. The gold blade. This man was a lord. It needs to be platinum. (laughs) Let's go. Now, we can assume that he had hopes, Mr. Guillotine, that his new machine would be a short-lived and rarely used necessity before France banned executions completely, which was the only logical and rational um, end game for for this, in his opinion. We know that that didn't happen. Uh, He was probably a bit miffed. Uh, when the terror that followed the French Revolution occurred and resulted in around 17,000 people losing their heads over a period of less than a year from 1793 to 1794. 
which is a phenomenal you, amount of people. You can say a lot about the French, but they do stuff properly. They do rioting properly. Yep. They do execution properly. They do offending people properly. <laughs> well, I love it. This, I mean, I don't know about properly in bulk. I mean, they were bringing cartloads of people and just sending them up one after the other. Yeah, I mean, yeah, cool. I, I, I was going to say I agree with everything they're they're doing, but I'm not sure I do. <laughs> Bring it back. Bring it back, says Ollie. <laughs> well, I think the problem was it when you have a method of killing people quickly and efficiently, it actually means that you're going to do more executing. You know, it dehumanizes it. It's mm-hmm. so simple and quick to do, and you're kind of one step removed from the process. Yeah. Even worse, the mass executions that the guillotine facilitated became immensely popular with spectators, with small model guillotines being sold as children's toys throughout Paris. <laughs> Can you imagine people like cutting their teddy bears' heads off? Well, this is, I couldn't tell if it was just a model of or if it was a working model. I like to think that this was a time, you know, in the late 18th century where health and safety meant kids were just chopping off digits Mm. and parents were going well you should have been more careful it reminds me of the adams family have you seen that when they chops or they're trying to chop the baby's head off he just catches the blade in his fingers yeah (laughs) good old pubert eventually though you know quite a while after the terror public execution by guillotine was stopped in 1939 that's insane, isn't it? Yeah, this was following apparently hysterical behaviour of a crowd witnessing the execution of a German serial killer called Eugene Weidmann on June seventeenth of that year. Now, here's, here's a fun little fact for you. Amongst the hysterical crowd was a seventeen-year-old Englishman called Christopher Lee, who would later play the executioner Charles Henri Sanson the man responsible for executing Louis the Sixteenth, as well as around 3,000 others during the French Revolution. And Christopher Lee, of course, would go on to play, amongst other things, Dracula, Saruman, the wizard, and Count Doku in the Star Wars trilogy. Uh, prequel trilo- trilogy. Yeah, but And he was there. He was there. He witnessed, as a 17-year-old lad, the last public execution by guillotine in France. And then went on so, to play probably the most famous operator of a guillotine that there's ever been. So he had that first-hand experience. That's method acting that is. right there. I don't know if you know the answer to this question, but so mm. they, got rid of the, they got rid of the guillotine. Yep. Uh, were they still uh, doing uh, sort of public execution or the death penalty for crimes up until the The death penalty date? continued. It was just, it was no longer in public. So the final actual execution by guillotine in France was on September the 10th, 1977, so only a decade before we were born, when Hamada Jandubi lost his head for the killing of a former girlfriend. Okay. However, the idea of decapitating people via machine as a method of administering your capital punishment was not even close to being an original idea in 1789. And in fact, there are records that suggest that in a little town near the edge of Europe, a similar device had possibly been used just over half a millennia before. So it was a recycled idea. It was a recycled idea. And that is why this story actually begins in the Middle Ages. <gasps> oh. oh, we did a workaround. Uh, 
a preface. Yes. Preface? Preface. <laughs> we, we did a preamble. Like so, it. prior to the Norman Conquest, the Anglo-Saxon kings of England, at their royal discretion, could grant their feudal lords the privilege of infanthief. This would give the lord the right to administer summary justice within the borders of their lands, up to and including the execution of criminals. Okay, so this was like local... Yeah, this was giving... Jurisdiction. But saying, you've got the lot, basically. You, okay. make, the, you make the rules, you do the judge, jury, you organise the execution. That's all up to you now. I trust well, you with this, this role. Cause you're but a, you you're have very... to be given that By the power. king, yeah. Because right. it's, it's the king's royal prerogative <clears throat> as to uh, how justice is administered, but he's delega- he's got this way of delegating. Fine. This would normally be done, the uh, executing, at an identified place of execution known as a gibbet, so that the locals could also get a bit of free entertainment to boost their feudal morale. (laughs) So as soon as you get that right from the king, you're like, right, first thing, we need to set up a gibbet. We need somewhere that we're going to do this, because I don't want executions willy-nilly all over the place. That's just going to get messy. Yeah, we want an organised system here. Yeah, come on, we're trying to we're trying to be civilised as we <laughs> kill people. Now, the right, or more sort of accurately, the expectation for the lords to punish criminals was often twinned with the right to charge tolls and was viewed as a mutually beneficial arrangement as the lord was given a means of raising a bit of extra money for his coffers in return for the king not needing to spend as much of his money on the administration of justice throughout the kingdom. Because okay. I believe... Um, if you were waiting for sort of like royal justice, uh, the, the royal courts might only come to an area once every couple of months or just a few times a year. Mm-hmm. So there's a, sort of a cost there of having to hold the criminals for all that time. Yeah, you know, so just get it done. The king's got to get everyone, his entire court moving around the country. So it's all going to be very expensive. Whereas just let the local lord do it and write you a note about what he's done. Yeah. yeah. Killed such and such, he'd done this, boop. And the king yeah. can just look at it and go, yeah, that's fine. Good. <laughs> no one I know. That's good. Until it is someone they know. Oh, yeah. In which case, they might send a strongly worded letter. Don't do it again. Or the gibbet with you. Following William I's invasion in 1066, the laws regarding the administration of justice by local lords were expanded and codified so that by the midpoint of the 13th century... There were hundreds of privately owned gibbets all across England. Privatisation started really early, didn't it? The privatisation of the uh, execution business. Of death, yeah. 94 of these were regularly in use in Yorkshire alone. Okay. And one of these was based in a little village of Halifax. Ah, I've been there. Oh, good. So you'll know all about the, the little hamlet that was Halifax that is now... An industrialised town. Yeah, and it it has a bank named after it. It does, because I believe it started out as a building society or a mutual that was based in Halifax, isn't it? Yeah, and it's also uh, the Bank of Scotland is the Halifax, but they had to change the name when it was up here. So it's the same bank. Cool. But, yeah. That's that's a fact. I don't know if it's going to come up in a pub quiz, but... Well, it might do. You can can A banking-based pub quiz. Yeah. That's a, dry, a rather dry round of... of you can bank quizzing. that bank Fact. question. Fact. So, when the right to punish criminals was granted to the Lord of the Manor of Wakefield, John de Warren, 
by Henry III in around 1280, it was agreed that execution was the appropriate punishment for anyone who was found to have stolen goods to the value of 13 and a half pence or more within the borders of the Forest of Hardwick. Okay. 13 and a half pence. Yeah, what was that back then, though? Was That's obviously quite a substantial well, amount, I'm guessing. It, it's gone up, but I'd, I'd say even by 13th century standards, when things were a lot harsher, death as a punishment for stealing the equivalent of £131.30 today seems yeah, to me a little bit harsh. That is pretty harsh, isn't it? Yeah. But then we've got to remember that in history, as now, you couldn't have the pause getting ideas above their station. No, peasants are scum. Yep. Yep. A hundred, if you stole... I mean, it, we're talking about a, a medium sort of spec TV. Yeah. We're, I mean, there are some pairs of trainers that are worth more than that, easily. Oh, absolutely. Imagine that, I mean, that. there's some aftershave that I want oh, wow. at the moment. Uh and I'm saving up for it because I'm being a good boy. It's a license to print money uh, after shave. Jeez. And it's £153 for a 200ml bottle. So that's like me stealing that bottle. Yeah, so you would die for 200 mils of smelly water. Oh, Seems but it does fair. smell good. I would smell fantastic on that guillotine. All oh, right. <laughs> you think <gasps> they'd let you splash my... it on? Oh, yeah. If someone took my head, they'd be like, mmm, he smells delicious. I'm going to use him as, like, potpourri <laughs> Just in your the head house. just on yeah. the coffee table. Yes, once he starts <laughs> to rot a bit, I'll throw him away. But the smell. A shrunken head. <laughs> Constantly splashing different colours. Smelling of Dior Sauvage. Oh, nice. Sauvage. I had a bit of Sauvage. I smell like the Johnny Depp's armpit. It is a good smell. Honestly, oh, it's God. a good choice, sir. So I was in, sorry, digressing completely. I was in the perfume shop the other day and uh, I asked for a sample on one of them uh, pieces of paper. Oh, the little sticks, yeah. Sticks. And um, he sprayed it on there, uh, gave it to me and it's it's still in my house now and it still smells. And I did it about a week and a half ago and it mm. still smells really strong. Oh, there so. you go. You need never wash again. No. I now wash once every two weeks so as to make the most of my sauvage. In, I, I wash in Sauvage. Anyway, back to Halifax. I feel like we should try and draw it back to a small village in Yorkshire. Yeah. A raised stone platform was built in the market square of Halifax to mark the site of the new gibbet, where criminals would meet their fate. Now, ironically, this site that they'd chosen was only about 500 yards or so from Hebble Brook, which marked the border of the Lord of Wakefield Manor's jurisdiction. And this will be important later. That's, that's a fact to remember. Okay. Okay. So this is in Halifax, it's but it Halifax. borders the Wakefield. No, uh, Wakefield Manor. Manor. Halifax fell within the um, the jurisdiction of the Lord of Wakefield's Manor. Okay. So this is his private land. This is his private land, but because he built it in Halifax and because Halifax was on the edge of his land, the gibbet is five hundred yards from the border of his land. Have they done that? Which on is purpose? marked by a brook called Hebble Brook. Okay. Now, the building of the stone platform may have been more to intimidate the poor locals of Halifax than out of an expectation of the gibbet getting regular use, as it was recorded that Lord John believed in using fear to keep his serfs in line, to the point that he was criticised by the Archbishop of York himself for the harsh way he treated his tenants. Mm -hmm. Yeah, rule by fear, it works, (laughs) people do it. 
That being said, I do feel like the Archbishop was a bit of a hypocrite, considering he also had his own private gibbet where he would regularly order executions. I just find that really bizarre in like religious settings. Well, he, he was also, um, I'm guessing, the, the landowner for a, a rather large... I'm guessing the Archbishopry of York comes with some holdings. You yeah. know, there's, there's some plum bits of real estate in there. So he was responsible for administering the law within his lands, just like the Lord of Wakefield was responsible. This is Catholicism still, isn't it? Yeah, we're still heavily in, we're, in, we're still in the before times, the long, yeah. long agos. Now, it's definitely true that the first recorded execution at the Halifax gibbet took place during John's time as Lord, when, in 1286, another John, this time John of Dalton, was executed by beheading. At that time, Halifax itself was little more than 12 huddle cottages. I really... (laughs) Tiny. It was a tiny little hamlet. Yeah, yeah. However, by the time that formal recordings of executions began in 1541, the fortunes of Halifax had changed significantly. So there was, what, a 250-year period where we know that the first recorded execution happened in 1286. There were probably regularly uh, executions happening at this gibbet through the next you know 250 years whatever but they just yeah. weren't recorded particularly well or they mm-hmm. weren't recorded at all but in 1541 somebody decided to get out a ledger uh, we really should be uh keeping some kind of record of of all these heads that we're collecting the reason that 1541 was when they decided they were going to have to start keeping better records is because the fortunes of halifax had changed in the intervening years because during the reigns of the Tudor kings and queens, there had been a boom in the cloth-making industries in England. Yes. This was mainly due to the fact that King Henry VII had passed a law to forbid the export of raw wool as part of a plan to encourage foreign manufacturers of cloth to come to England. Uh, a savvy move. Which would then, you know, they'd have to then pay taxes on all of their exports. So it was a, yeah. it was a means of increasing both the production in the country, which would and create income. jobs... Yeah, and the tax take for the crown was the the main goal. I mean, there may have been some tangential sort of benefits to certain communities who would, you know, have a slight increase in the standard of living, but mainly it was about getting the king money. Yeah, which is yeah, fair enough. That's what the that's what they were about back then. At least back then it's, they didn't lie. It's my kingdom. Yeah. give me money. Yeah, I've I've been chosen by God to rule over you, and that's expensive. So God's saying, <laughs> I've got give me money. Expensive taste. God damn it. But then I am God's chosen one, and he wouldn't want his chosen one to look scruffy. So I'm in a bind. Am I going to upset God? No. <laughs> Are you going to upset God by upsetting me? No. And if you do, I have all manner of punishments. Yeah. Halifax had abundant access to freshwater streams and was inhabited by people described by William Bentley in his 1761 book, Halifax and its gibbet law placed in a true light, as having... compact and well-built bodies. Their tempers and dispositions are debonair and ingenious, generally inclined to good manners and hospitality, giving civil and respectful reception not only to strangers, but unto all others with whom they have occasion to converse. That's the Yorkshire charm, isn't it? Yeah, this is the thing. You're describing a town in Yorkshire in the most glowing way. I mean, to say that they're debonair and ingenious... Yeah, I mean, I'm sure a lot of people from Halifax would still go by that. 
bad What's description. I, I will point out a caveat that William Bentley was in jail in Halifax at the time and was hoping that this book might secure his release. So there's, okay. he's likely to be... Um, Sweet talking. Yeah, quite complimentary towards the people of Halifax. But I think the bit there is compact and well-built bodies. These were good workers. Yeah, It was a good hard, site to do... Hard graft. Your cloth manufacture, and you had the people who were willing to, to knuckle down and do it as well. Yeah. So naturally, it was the perfect place for relocating cloth manufacturers to head to. And within 100 years of the law being passed, the population of Halifax had increased by a ridiculous amount. Do you, do you want to have a guess at the percentage? Mm, 7,000%. That's a conservative estimate of how much it had grown. It was ridiculous. People were just flocking there from everywhere because there was work. There were jobs and people needed jobs. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, people would go uh, as they do today. Yeah. You move where the work is. Mm. Just as long as you don't come across the channel. Yeah. Mm. So that's not fair. Mm. Somehow. The main cloth produced in Halifax was called Kersey, which was a coarse woolen cloth that was light and apparently very, very warm. It was used for military clothing and was widely exported to Europe. And as a result, it was considered an important keystone of the wool industry. So this is a a real important sort of um, part of the makeup of the economy. This I mean, that's what you want in a woolen jumper, isn't it? Because some of them are heavy. Mm. Like You don't want to be heavy, like way down. You want to be warm, but you want it to be like breathable. Oh, yeah. Especially yeah. If, you're, if you're marching across large tracts of land with... You know, your, your your military pack on your back. You don't want a heavy sort of corded, knitted sweater. No, you don't want to get sweaty. No, sweaty no. Bit. no. You've got enough to worry about. You're on half rations and you're about to fight some, you know, incredibly get, get angry shot. people. Yeah, yeah. Now, during the process of making this wonder fabric, Kersey, it would be dyed and stretched out overnight on wooden frames called tenters to dry. Mm-hmm. Now, leaving valuable fabric outside overnight was a risky business as thieves could easily use the cover of darkness to make off with large amounts of cloth before any theft would be discovered by the workers the next morning and as the rows of tenters expanded ever outwards over the hillsides around halifax and i've seen um i was about to say photos but obviously they weren't they they were etchings they were wood carvings depicting the scene it is just like a sea of these um, frames just covered in cloth, just, you know, off into the distance. Yeah, but couldn't they have just walled it in? Well, no, this this is the size of it. It's taking up so much space to do this that you'd have to build a wall around a sort of, you know, couple of mile radius around <laughs> where, you, where you're performing yeah. your operation. And then, and then have people manning it as well. Yeah. yeah. So okay, you'd fine. need a more cost-effective way of um, deterring thieves. Yeah. So, because, yeah, thefts were becoming more and more common. And obviously, it horrified the local cloth merchants because it was cutting into their profits. Mm-hmm. I mean, not so much that they couldn't just eat the losses and continue about becoming fabulously wealthy, but it's more the principle of the thing. Oh, yeah. That someone has managed to get a couple of yards of cloth that they might use to make themselves an outfit that they haven't paid for. Poor stay poor. Yes, definitely. 
So what they needed, the cloth merchants and the tradespeople, was some kind of very visible deterrent that would scare the people of Halifax and the surrounding areas so much that they would never, never dare steal even the smallest scrap of fabric ever again. A gibbet. A guillotine. Ah, you've, you've brought the two things together. A gibbetine. And like I said, although the occasional executions have probably been taking place there for a long time, the stone platform that they took place on, it didn't look particularly intimidating in and of itself. Okay. Because before you got the wooden block out and the, the executioner turned up with his axe, it was just a little raised platform. So you, you need it to be like grand and imposing to make yeah. the people feel small and intimidated. Yeah, I imagine on market day, most of the stalls sort of swallowed it up. You couldn't even see it. Mm-hmm. So they need something that's going to loom over the over the town yeah. 24-7. I, I mean, I don't want to compare this to Nazi Germany, but I'm going to compare this to Nazi Germany. <laughs> so when um, Albert Speer was to start designing all of his buildings for like new Germany... Mm. Um, the buildings were the meant to make you feel like insignificant, like you were part of the regime, like you weren't an individual and stuff. So like architecture and stuff has a massive part to play in making people feel tiny. Well, funnily, the the official method of execution of the Third Reich was the uh, the guillotine. They the Germans um, the Germans the Nazis guillotined thousands and thousands of people during this, the Second World War. Mm. So they went back I didn't to know, it. I didn't know that, actually. Which, I just thought they were gun-happy. <laughs> I imagine it's why um, the last public execution in France by guillotine took place before the war, because afterwards, um, you know, the guillotine had a different connotation. So they were still using it behind the walls, yeah. but there was this new association, which they probably wanted to move away from post-1945. Yeah. Just do it in the back where we don't have to see it, because it's still very efficient. It's just taken on this extra sinister kind of yeah yeah the merchants and traders what they could have done is they could have installed a fixed gallows for hangings but that would have come with the cost of a hangman every time someone was sentenced so if you're going to hang someone you got to pay the hangman Mm -hmm. i mean they could do it themselves but none of them really wanted to and they couldn't seem to find a local who wanted to do that because Everyone's, you know, people get a bit squeamish about taking the lives of the fellow Halifax natives. You know, it's yeah. it's like being the person who kills your next door neighbour and mm-hmm. being able to do it. It's very hard to find people, as we've talked about executioners before, you know, it takes a very special kind of person. And apparently there was no one in Halifax at the time who had that particular mix of detachment um, and, and sort of humanity that you need for a good executioner. So what what they really wanted, they decided, was um, to be able to pay a one-off cost in order to ensure that a permanent execution device could be placed at the gibbet, which could be operated without the need for direct human involvement. The guillotine. And while we don't know exactly who came up with the idea, contemporary author Thomas Deloney suggests in his late 15th century ballad Thomas of Reading, or The Six Worthy Yeoman of the West... Which is a great title. It is, it's brilliant. That while the merchants were bemoaning the fact that thieves kept getting away with their crimes, they were approached by a fat friar. Okay. Now, upon hearing that justice was not being done in Halifax due to no one having the inclination to act as executioner, he apparently said, and this is a, this is a quote from the Six Worthy Yeoman of the West, 
seeing I find you and the rest so womanish that you could not find in your hearts to hang a thief. I have devised how to make a gin that shall cut off their heads without man's help, and if the king will allow thereof. A gin, in this case, being a machine. Yeah. Not a bottle of gin. Not the alcohol, yeah. I have made you a gin so strong it will knock a man's head off. Well, gin wasn't around until... Oh no, it was an empire thing, wasn't it? Cause yeah, until the 18th century. All the, all the ingredients came from all the different parts of the empire, so it's basically a look at how great we are drink. Yeah. It's also tasty, I mean, to be fair. I never got on with gin, but I don't know if it's because I don't like the tonic. Oh yeah, I, I'd say just try drinking straight gin, that's much better. I mean, better. I don't drink anymore, do I, because I'm, <laughs> I'm a nun. So. You, can, you can actually get alcohol-free gin these days, and it's not What's bad. Point? What's the point? It's for the botanicals, man the botanicals but he didn't he he was talking about a machine and the king did indeed allow thereof for this machine to be built and so the execution device was raised upon the stone platform in halifax amazing did it look like a guillotine do we know do we know if it looks i'm gonna give you a full description of this bad boy yes because seeing as how the goal was probably to strike fear into would-be thieves it was pretty perfect it consisted of two 15-foot-tall parallel beams of wood joined across the top to make a rectangular frame. Running in grooves within the beams, there was a big wooden block, and embedded in this big wooden block was a massive crescent-shaped axe head. Amazing. A rope attached to the top of the wooden block holding the axe ran over a pulley at the top of the structure, allowing the block to be raised. The rope would then be fastened to a pin in the stone platform. The gibbet could be operated by cutting the rope or by pulling the pin. However, if the person was being executed for stealing an animal, the locals did get a bit fun with it and would attach the pin to the animal that had been stolen, allowing it to exact its own revenge on the unfortunate (laughs) criminal as they drove it away from the market square. I mean, I don't know why I'm laughing, but I've just got this idea of a sheep or a goat. If you stole a pig worth more than 13 and a half pence... You were going to have your last sight on this world would be the arse end of a pig walking slowly away, and then what a way to go! I could, was, oh, I mean, was that axe blade sharp? Because if it was blunt, mm, these ouch. these are considerations that might flash through your mind as you're waiting for the, you know, the pin to be withdrawn or the rope to be cut. Apparently, sometimes ex- they just got everyone who wanted to to take hold of the rope and help to pull it and then they'd all let go at once so it's like a communal uh, thing as well like we're, we're there's no one executioner mm-hmm. we're all taking part in this sort of like communal um justice because obviously the people in the town were more and more reliant on the cloth industry so for them it, it would make sense to be very very against people you know um disrupting that industry because that's their livelihood yeah and I suppose that's like the firing squad as well. Like you don't actually know who who did it, who did it. So it's that collective responsibility, yeah. yeah. Helping to assuage the guilt. Yeah. So let's say it's sixteen hundred, and you, Ollie, you couldn't stop yourself from stealing a bit of lovely kersey cloth from a Halifax tenter. I don't think I could. Yeah, I mean they did it in russet colours as well. Apparently, someone described it as russet which I assume is a kind of red because I've heard apples described as russet, but by the same token, it could be green because I know apples I mean, come I in could... those two colours. <laughs> I, I could go with any of those. Yeah, a russet coloured cloth. Uh, yeah. So what's going to happen to you? 
Yeah. First be... things first, you'd have Shocked. to be caught while yeah. you were still within the limits of the borders of the Forest of Hardwick. If you manage to get outside of the jurisdiction, you're away scot-free. How, did they, how would they know like, where the border was? Oh, the, they knew. It was quite okay. clear where the, where the borders were. This is my land. So you'd have to be caught within that, the borders. Okay. If you got out, it's a bit like in America, you know how you have like um, state crimes and federal crimes? Yeah. So if you left the state, you're not going to be pursued by law enforcement. It was a bit the same here. If you left okay. that person, that lord's land, you're pretty much in the wind. You know, there were no real papers or anything at that point. There was no way of tracking you down. But that doesn't happen here, does it? Like, if I'm in one county and then I disappear to another county. Yeah, not not anymore. But there, there were times, um, not too long ago, actually, when the different... Um, Police jurisdictions didn't have a real good way of talking to each other. Oh, that's why that Holmes thing came in, wasn't it? There's a computer system called Holmes, uh, and it's like a, a national database for like police to share stuff because that's how they went. That um, you know that Holly and Jessica that got murdered by what's his face? Oh God, what was his name now? Ian Huntley. Is that his name? I'm going to say yes. Okay. We'll go um, with it. We can put uh, in a correction if we need to, but you sound confident. Because there was uh, there was things missed by mm. like different police forces and stuff, and um, yeah, it was one of the reasons why it came in. I believe. Well, was we're still you know nearly four hundred years away from the computer system coming in here. So if you managed to get out, you'd be final. But if you were caught, you had to be caught either hand hab end meaning caught with the stolen goods in your hand or in the okay. act of stealing. Yeah. Backbarand, meaning you were caught carrying stolen goods on your back, or confessand, meaning that you were stupid enough to confess to the crime. Okay. Couldn't they just say that you did, though? Mm, well, don't worry. Once they've caught you, there's still a process to go through. Okay. I can't imagine it's very fair. Oh, you, you'll find it is just unimpeachable fairness is what you will experience now because you'll be placed in the custody of the bailiff of the local jail. Yeah. And while you're under lock and key, four constables of the town will be assembled to assess the value of the alleged stolen goods. If there was a consensus that the value exceeded the 13 and a half pence, then a jury of 16 men would immediately be assembled. 16, that's very specific. Mm. 16 men. They were very mm. specific about that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. This is this is way way before women had importance in society, in the legal system, especially. Yeah. Uh, the men who would be assembled for your jury would generally not be from the working classes, and by generally, I mean would never be from the working classes. Instead, it was decided that they should be selected from the most wealthy and best reputed for honesty and understanding. Yeah, that seems fair. Because, as we all know, with great wealth naturally come the traits of being honest, being understanding, being empathetic. The right honourable. Look at the billionaires in this world. They are the most understanding, honourable, honest and empathetic people that our society has ever produced. Mm -hmm. So they're they're the people who are going to be judging you, the richest 16 men that they could round up at short notice. Yeah, looking down at this scumbag. Even better, though, because they're such honourable men, these jurors, they would not have to swear any oath, you know, that they were going to, um, say, be fair or, you know, 
be in agreement with the law or seek to, you know, work the in service is They've of got justice. their own agenda because I'm assuming uh, half of them own the uh, like the wall mills and stuff. So oh, they've yeah, got yeah. their own agenda. They, they're probably m- most of the rich people in Halifax were involved in the cloth trade at this time. So if you'd stolen a load of cloth, your jurors were probably going to be people who make their money exclusively from that cloth. Yeah, you're screwed. It's the it's the guillotine for me. So they they didn't have to swear an oath, and the main purpose was to again confirm both the value of the goods and where they'd been stolen from, and okay. to decide how you'd stolen them, if indeed you had. Yes, but this, they're having to do uh, none all of this, this is based on evidence. I'm guessing. Well, there's not been enough time because the jurors are immediately assembled. <laughs> so no one, there's no constabulary. Someone has caught you. You've been taken to the bailiff. The bailiff's got these people in and said, he's been caught with this, what do you think? There's no witnesses, there's no cross-examinations, there's none of that. You're not getting a lawyer. It's you. No. You you plead your case to these 16 rich blokes and they believe you or they don't. I didn't do it, sir. I didn't do it. I've got a family at home. Well, we both know that that's not going to sway them. (laughs) <laughs> I thought you were going to be like, we know that's not true, gonna, you? Like, you these... sit there on your own, you lonely piece of shite. <laughs> no, that's not where I was going. I'm saying hmm. these people aren't going to be swayed by you appealing Fine. to their humanity. You've cut into their profits. Yeah. How dare you? But if by some miracle you were lucky enough that you were found not guilty by these people, you would just... be free to go only after you'd paid court fees. So they so you've would... got to pay for the privilege as well. With what money? Like yeah. you've just stolen something. Well, to no, if you make hadn't some stolen money. something. So imagine that you had um, just wandered through a field of tenters because it was a shortcut home, and someone had decided that you were on the rob, and had yeah. grabbed you, dragged you to the local jail. You'd sat there, bricking it. Sixteen rich people come in, have a listen to your sob story, and go, "Yeah, he hasn't stolen anything. It's fine." So just pay us the court fees pales for the inconvenience of us having to come and listen to your story and then you can go and if you couldn't pay the court fees you would end up in debtor's jail until you could yeah it seems really fair mm. I mean, the system works <laughs> did it though? did it however if they decided that you were guilty then it was straight to the execution with you oh, literally there and then provided it was a saturday okay because in order to maximise the number of people witnessing the executions, they always held them on the busiest market day. Why does it need people witnessing it? Well, because it's a, it's a deterrent, basically, for mm, other people. Okay. It's, if you do look this, at what happens. Yeah, come okay. come and, and see. I, I imagine it brings a lot of people into the market square or whatever to spend more money as well, doesn't it? So I mean it's a bit of a public spectacle. You might be if if you ran the local pub, you'd probably be really happy there was an execution on that week. Mm-hmm. That'd probably get a few more people coming for a I bit. I can of imagine a there's room. some people that would go because they really enjoy like watching it, but then I can imagine there's other people that go because they've got the fear of missing out. They they're not really <laughs> pro it. They just want to know what's going on. It's like when something like big and unusual happens in your local area. Yeah, you, you... You're kind of... Like a fire. Let's say a fire. And, this uh, has nothing every... to do with the fire that recently happened in your local area. It's just a good comparison. Yeah, it's perfect. So, and, and then, yeah, you wouldn't... 
necessarily want to watch a historic building burn to the ground, but you can't stop watching. <laughs> to be fair, there was um, a, an old building in Southport that burned to the ground. It was another insurance job. Um, yeah. And I was working in Bing House at the time, so we were looking after a load of um, elderly veterans. We took chairs from the building out into the front so that these old people could sit and have a good watch of this building burn to the ground. Yeah. So, yeah, I can, I can imagine that. I mean, what impulse convinced us that the best thing to do as an evening's entertainment was, oh, there's a building on fire. Let's get the chairs out and we'll we'll all just sit and watch it. I mean, considering the age of some of these people, that could have been quite triggering. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I've just seen my... Because um, these people like... are coming from all over the country. You know, we had like 80, 90-year-olds who probably have been in london and the battle of britain and yeah, like, yeah all these bombs and come and look at this yeah, building on blitz. fire isn't that wonderful it's just yeah these hollow haunted eyes as these memories come rushing back probably shouldn't <laughs> have done that but yeah I, I get your point there will be people there who are only there because they don't want to have not been there rather than mm-hmm. actually the kind of people who turn up but wouldn't watch the actual moment of execution yeah i can imagine i mean way back when Obviously, I would probably be that person. I wouldn't want to actually see it happening. Mm. But I'd want to be in the like the hustle and bustle of it all. But maybe buying a, yeah. a souvenir pamphlet or... Like a toffee apple or yeah. something. You know? S- seeing if it brought any specific sort of like special market traders out. Mm-hmm. Some, some yeah. people from further afield trying to make a bit of extra money. And if there was a souvenir, I definitely would have bought it. Like the mini little guillotines I don't you were think about. Halifax ever got round to manufacturing tiny guillotines. There's always time. Yeah. Halifax, if you're out there, it's, get to it. It's definitely still out there. Yeah. I saw it on Google Earth only today because I was, I was sadly, and we'll get to it, I was measuring distances via Google Maps. As the bird flies or... Uh, walking distances. Walking. Yeah. I love a Google Map. If you were found guilty on any other day of the week, it was actually arguably worse because you'd have to wait well you'd have to wait but also you wouldn't just wait in jail each day you'll be placed in the stocks with the stolen goods that had sealed your fate placed alongside you which again could be worth a surprisingly small amount so you must be exhausted say you got caught on a sunday yeah and you had to wait to the following saturday yeah like you spent five big... full working week in the stocks <sighs> I'd be like, kill me. With like do it. A, a minuscule amount of cloth lying next to you or a single sheep would, that they would, just tethered next to you. Would it be ironic if someone just went and stole it next to them going... <laughs> That'd be a brave person. Yeah. I don't, I, don't, I don't know that that ever happened. Also, if it's raining and they've put this cloth out next to you for five days, they've ruined the, merch. the, the goods yeah. for no reason other than to... Sort of to shame point, you. Yeah. On the Saturday... You would then be taken to the gibbet and, as a final indignity, you'll be subject to a psalm being played on the bagpipes as your neck was placed on the block. It was apparently Psalm 4. Okay. I'm not familiar with this psalm, but they'd set it to music and a priest would chant it while you were being placed on the block and somebody would be playing bagpipes, which is not what I want in my final moments of contemplation on this earth. I mean, I quite like bagpipes. I know they get a bit of a bad, like, rep. I'm just saying there's a time and a place, <laughs> I guess. Like, Not uh, necessarily New, New Year's Eve. Worst. Yeah, <laughs> New Year's Eve, perfect. Yeah. 
you know, a Burns Night. Uh, just any winter's a evening is good. Yeah. A, a wedding, fine. Yeah. My execution, keep that shit away. Don't want it. What would you have instead? Oh, something a bit more soul. Maybe a, a violin, something that can play something a bit more emotive. Like in the final scenes of Titanic when it's going down. Yeah, why not? Yeah. We'll play that. Just something yeah. a bit more whimsical, something that sort of, you know, slowly melancholy. fades out. Yeah, a bit melancholic, but, you know, sort of reminiscent of times past as well. It's not all about this moment, but, you know, there was a life I had lived. a good laugh. Yeah. I loved and I've been loved. Yeah, I think you, this was still the time when you did get to give a final speech, should you wish it. I think I'd be too nervous. Mm. Oh, what a time to get performance pressure. Performance anxiety at that point is just shit. I did I did have something written down. Could you read it for me? You know, rather than playing those bagpipes, you dick. Um so yeah, neck could be placed on the block, bagpipes will be in full voice, and the axe will be allowed to fall. The use of a crescent axe rather than an angular blade, as was done in France, mm-hmm. made the Halifax gibbet much less of a precision implement than its later French cousin. This was exacerbated by the fact that the blade was reportedly never sharpened. Yeah, that's it was what just I said. when it wasn't in use, they just took the blade and stored it in the jail. Oh no, that's like having a really bad kitchen knife as well. Oh yeah. As a result, the actual process of removing the head from the body was described as being via a tearing action rather than slicing. Just let you sit with that idea for a minute. Oh, just tearing your head off. Yeah. Oh, God, you'd feel that. That would be horrendous. Mm, I know. Maybe that was the point. Yeah. Now, the first recorded victim of the new machine was likely a man called Charles Howarth, who was executed on January the 15th, 1539. Some of the more notable of the over 50 executions recorded over the next 109 years included the execution on January the 1st, 1542 of Some Guy because they apparently didn't bother to ask his name before lopping his head off. And in the records, he is just an unnamed person. <laughs> Which, nice. Y- you could ask him. Can you just imagine? Just for the like, records. Like, oh, they'd done it. And like their superior came and like, oh, yeah, so what was his name for the ledger? I'm sorry, sir, I forgot to ask. I assumed the bailiff had asked. No? What about the jurors? No, no one had asked him his name. <laughs> just like, <laughs> it must have been a Saturday. Yeah. And I'm guessing close to the end of market when they caught him. So he's just like, come on, this is going to have to be a rush just, job. Yeah. Just What's that it. worth? It's worth five shillings. Right. Get him to the block. Boom. <laughs> Does anyone know this man? They're just walking around the market with a head. No. Do you know who this man was? How about the execution on January the 9th, 1572 of three people? There's one for you. John okay. Atkinson, Nicholas Freer and Richard Grant. This was the single bloodiest day for the Halifax gibbet. So it only managed one hat trick. Okay. Um, on Tom Bocock's Eve, 1623. What? what is that? Well, if you'd listened to our Tom Bocock episode, um, which is in our archives. Was uh, I in it? No, it was an Emma episode. It's when we uh, talked about the Mausel cat. Uh, Tom Bocock's you... Eve is the 23rd of December. So it's Christmas Eve Eve when you have stargazy pie. Joe, you give me so much information. How do you expect me to retain it all? I don't have your beautiful brain. I expect you to listen to our extensive back catalogue 
as I expect <laughs> all people to be constantly listening to our extensive back catalogue. And where can you find that back catalogue, Joe? Wherever podcasts are available, be it Spotify, Apple Music, others. And what is the name of this podcast? <laughs> <laughs> so yes, on Tom Bocock's Eve, there was a father and daughter execution of George and Anna Fairbank. And the records don't say who was executed first. And I can't decide, I've been running this over in my brain, which way round would be worse. Mm. Is it worse to watch your child die or to know that they're going to watch you die and then there'll be no one there to comfort them in their final moments? I I couldn't figure out which would be the crueler way of doing that. Mm, Now you've got me thinking, because initially I was like, well, obviously the the parents just go first. Mm. But then... Now that you've said they should be alone. Yeah. It's really difficult to tell. Unless, of course, they did the humane thing and they stacked them one on top of the other. and just <laughs> with, that, with that really sharp blade. Yeah, just simultaneously did it. <laughs> um, but yeah, that was, that was one that stuck with me. Uh, another double chop took place on the 28th of August, 1630. Though this time it was a slightly different kind of dynamic because... There was Henry Henson and a woman who's rather pointedly referred to as the wife of Samuel Ettel. Okay, she she doesn't have a name. Well, the thing is, they did record the names of other women who were executed um, by the Halifax gibbet. So I'm wondering if... Adultery. Yes, that was my thought was, you know, it's Henry and he was... And the wife of somebody else, very pointedly in the records... Yeah, 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 this is what they did. Because although it it could be used for thieving, you know, its main use was to deter thieves, I'm guessing there were other crimes uh, that the Manor of Wakefield considered capital offences. And why wouldn't adultery be that in the, you know, um, 17th century, the early 17th century? The God-fearing people, yeah. Mm. So maybe that was some saucy goings-on in the town of Halifax that met a rather sticky end. Oh, dear. But... Even when you were being led to the block, there was still hope for you. Mm-hmm. You still had a, a hope, a fool's hope, maybe, but you had it. You see, unlike the later guillotine, there was no mechanism on the Halifax gibbet for locking the head into place under the blade. You were still just expected to put your head on a block. So you could run. Oh. Well, it meant that if you were able to pull your head away before the blade fell, and you could then manage to run across the boundary of the parish you would be free. They would have no jurisdiction because to Because it's really you. close to yeah. the border. <sighs> yeah, because normally that would sound quite daunting. You know, you've got to run clear out of the border of this person's land. But wasn't it only like five foot or something? You're close. The five is in it. Fifty. Five hundred. Five hundred yards. They built the gibbet 500 yards away from the parish boundary. This is approximately 400 metres, which can be run by professional athletes today in under a minute. And I'm assuming that with the adrenaline of a near-death experience coursing through your veins, you're You're not going to be far off those kind of times. Yeah. So if you can run flat out for a minute, dodging angry Halifax natives and splash through a small brook... They're probably all drunk, aren't they? I reckon you've got a chance. There's probably some drunk people there. And as much as I say, you know, you've got this opportunity, it wasn't like every time people tried it. So you would also kind of have the element of surprise on your side. Yeah. Run! And amazingly, there are records that two men 
did manage to dodge the blade and the crowd of angry Yorkshiremen in order to gain their freedom. Yes. The first was a man known simply as Dennis. Dennis? Yeah, not... I thought you were going to say, like, man one. (laughs) (laughs) Not Dennis, because it's definitely D-I-N-N-I-S. It's Dennis. Dennis. Who reportedly, after he'd escaped and got to the other side of the brook, spent the rest of the day strolling around just outside the parish boundary, asking passers-by if Dennis had been executed yet, and then laughing to himself. So he had a bit of fun with it. <laughs> That's very brave. Surely someone could just like run in and like pull him back over. Well, maybe, but I'm, I'm guessing he was keeping a wary eye on, mm-hmm. sort of in the direction of the market. But yeah, he, he amused himself for the afternoon, and then he wisely got as far away from Halifax as possible, and he never returned. Did he go to like the next town? <laughs> well, I mean, that would have been far enough, but I, I'd probably at that point be be leaving Yorkshire <laughs> for yeah. the foreseeable. Well, there's there's other counties. There, there are. There, there's many. Although, how many counties are there in England? Oh, I don't know that. I mean, there's, no, I don't know either. There's definitely East and West Sussex. There's Hertfordshire, there's Bedfordshire, there's Derbyshire, there's Lancashire, there's Yorkshire, there's Berkshire, Cumbria, yeah. there's Berkshire, there's Her- Essex, there's Herefordshire. London um, counts as its own, doesn't it? Uh, yeah, and well, then you've got yeah. like Cornwall, Devon. You got the West Country. Have we done the Sussex? Yeah, we did both Sussex. the Sussexes. Norfolk, Suffolk. Oh yeah, Northumberland. Northumberland. So there's what lots. Is Newcastle in. Oh blooming heck! Um, no, Newcastle. Tiny, tiny, tiny weir, yeah. Weir, yeah. There's there's loads of them. All of. The I counties. think we did quite well there. I think we did. If we missed anyone's county, I apologise. But it obviously has never registered in my... Did we say Lincolnshire? I don't want to leave Lincolnshire out. I don't think we did. We've not even and started Lincolnshire. on Scotland. Oh, I know Dumfries and Galloway. And that's yeah. that's me. <laughs> Where do I live? Ayrshire. You live yeah. in Ayrshire. Yeah. Strathclyde is one. <laughs> Lothian. I'll, I'll learn them as I go to them. But at the moment, I think I've only been to Dumfries and Galloway and Ayrshire. And wherever Edinburgh is. Yeah, Lothian. Lothian. There you go. Yeah. Those are the those are the three counties I've been to. Glasgow. I've never been to Glasgow. You are a descendant of a Glaswegian. Yes. Why have you never been? Why did we never go? Next time you're here, I'll take you. We've we, we've already made these plans. Mm-hmm. I was going to stay in that campsite that you recommended. Yeah. And then we were going to go to Glasgow. Yeah, to the transport museum and to, to make Emma cry and to paradise. Because if I'm if I'm going to Glasgow, oh, okay, I'm going yeah, to Celtic fine. Park. I'm <laughs> fine. Well, I could take you to both. Yay! No, I'm not. I'm not going to Ibrox. Why not? Because you've. I feel you've got to choose. Do you? I do, I've not chosen. I mean, I like the brickwork on Ibrox. It's beautiful. It's good red brick frontage. But in terms of the football club, I'm I'm going to prefer Celtic. Okay, fine. The second man to complete the feat was John Lacey a Halifax native who left the area in a hurry in 1616. Unfortunately, unlike wise Dinnis, John Lacey believed that he had been pardoned by virtue of crossing the boundary. Oh, so he came back in. Well, yeah. He'd he'd made a boob there because that was not the case. And you'd expect, considering he was a Halifax native, that he should have known better. Yeah. 
Anyway, he decided to do a quick return visit to see his family on the 29th of January, 1623, a full seven years after his original escape. Oh, yeah. Well, you hear that all the time, but like even now, like people disappear to like wherever, and they're, they're told as soon as you step foot back on like British soil, you're getting arrested. And uh, they still come back thinking that they'll be fine. Mm, that people have stopped looking. Yeah. Well, because he was a native and because people had known him for, let's say, the first 20 odd years of his life before all this had kicked off, of course he was immediately recognised. And they didn't take a risk that time. They bundled him straight over to the gibbet and executed him. They didn't need a further trial or even verification that he was who, who they thought he was. They <laughs> were just, just like, no, look-alike. we know we know you're a slippery fish. Get your head on that block. I'm guessing someone stood on him at that point. You know, they sort of held him down to make sure what he wasn't going to do a repeat performance. Just don't go back. Well, I mean, for him, rather bad day. For the people yeah. at the market, it's a fun surprise execution. <laughs> Nothing was slated in for that Saturday, and then suddenly they're like, Whoa. Yeah. All over, it's a bit like a, the equivalent of a flash mob. You're not expecting it, but suddenly you're entertained. And then it's all over again. <laughs> And away they Flash go. Flash mobs. Uh, they, they were all the rage, weren't they, a few years ago? They were. And mm. thankfully they died a death. I know. I can't, I can't stand attention-seeking people. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Do you think what we're doing is attention-seeking in a way? No. No, because we, we hide behind a microphone. That's true. People don't really know us. And it's not it's not like we're we're doing this live. We record it and send it away and then send it away to send, whom? It, send it away into the world and if people want to pick it up, great, but I don't really need to know. Yeah. Yeah. Fine. Yeah. Don't yeah, don't give me any of your comments unless they're positive. Yeah, that well, I, I would always filter any if if we ever received a comment, I would filter out the bad ones and only uh, proffer the, the positivity towards you. People in my mum's village love you love you. They're... I'll take that. There's a fan club. Well, you can let them know that there's new content coming out and I, I did, I'll take I any did. fan club. And I'll tell you, my mum texts me saying... She's very uh, excited. Well, yeah, pretty much. It's along the lines of... Um, tell Joe I'm so looking forward to the new podcast. Three exclamation marks. Kiss, kiss. Wow. I mean, I, considering that we, me and your mum have passed messages to each other through you, we've never actually directly made communication. So thank you, Ollie's mum. Thank you very she, much. It it means a name, lot. It really her name's does. Her name's Sally. She'd be well excited if you say her name. I'm not. It's always Ollie's <laughs> mum. I'm still at heart a child. I can't refer to other people's parents as anything other than their mum or their mom, dad. Fine. Yeah. Fine. It's just drilled into me. You don't be rude. Today, John Lacey is commemorated by the pub The Running Man, which stands less than a quarter mile from the gibbet to this day. I love that. Though disappointingly, it's in the opposite direction to the direction that John actually so he ran. ran. Oh, yeah, no. so it's, it's further away from the brook rather than closer to the brook from oh. the gibbet, which annoys the me. The sentiment was there, though. Now, by this time, the Halifax gibbet had received a reputation um, across the country to the point that... In 1639, a poem by John Taylor commemorated the Halifax gibbet with the line, God save us from hell, hull and Halifax. (laughs) That was my uncle's name, John Taylor. Mm. Did he write that poem? Uh, Yeah. Mm. A very long-lived man. 
He looked like the Yorkshire Ripper. That's an unfortunate thing to look like. And he lived in Yorkshire at the same time it was all happening. How many times was he pulled in for questioning? I don't know. I actually think he was pulled in. I I think pretty much everyone in the area was at one point, if you were a man. Pretty sure he was. Could you ask him? No, he's dead. And there goes, that could have been a great afternoon's conversation. (laughs) Are you the Yorkshire Ripper? Now, if you're wondering why Hull also features there, it's not just for the lovely alliteration but because Hull had a different, if no less terrifying, method of execution that they they sort of got a niche in. Does it involve fish? In a way. Does it? Yes. Because every time I've been to Hull, it just stinks of fish. So apparently the fun way of executing someone was to literally just chain them to um, the quay at low tide. Oh, what? On and a then sort it would of, fill yeah. up. So they'd be on like a, a platform that would eventually be just covered by the sea at high tide. That is brutal. And then just left to drown. I would say that's worse. Well, this was going to be my question. Would you rather, if you were going to go to hell, would you rather go mm. via Hull or via Halifax? Halifax. Bearing in mind that now we're talking about uh, an, a Halifax gibbet with an axe that's been there for well over 150 years. And has never once been sharpened. Nah, Halifax. The idea of drowning. Mm. Nah. Fair enough. Trying to take your last breath. Yeah. And I imagine there's that point where you're straining and the water's probably just like a few millimetres too high. Yeah. So you can li- you can see through and you strain your neck and it's just too far. Yeah. Yeah, that, that'd be pretty grim, wouldn't it? Yeah, not for me. No. Oh, give myself chills. <laughs> Are they multiplying? Well, I have lost control, which is why you can probably hear that mic banging sound. Yeah. I would do a full episode on, on Hull and that method of execution, but I think I would have nightmares. I don't want you nightmares. You can make a film about it. Uh. I think it has been used as a method of execution in a few films. I think in Doctor No, mm. the first James Bond movie... Yeah. that um, the Bond girl was going to be executed in that way, but Bond got to her in time and saved her, I oh, think. That's a horrible way to die. Because I know I've been aware of this sort of way of killing someone, and it's always given me a bit of the ick. Humans are horrible, aren't they? Oh, I think that's the, the We have the capacity of... to, to be very horrible. Mm. And it's never to the people who deserve it. Oh, I agree. Now, the final executions using the massive axe took place on April the 19th, 1650. The Max. The Max Axe. When Anthony Mitchell and John Wilkinson were caught with 16 yards of kersey and two horses. The cloth was valued at a shilling per yard and the guys were found with 16 yards of it. So the death sentence was absolutely certain. You know, it's bolted on. However, in reading the reports, I am more interested in the fact that of the two horses... One was valued at nine shillings, while the other was valued at a whopping 48 shillings. And I want to know, considering both horses were stolen from the same place, why the massive discrepancy in value of horse? Do you reckon one was like a pure thoroughbred? I don't think there was such a thing as a thoroughbred racehorse at the time either. Mm. I just, I can't figure out what it would be. Because if you if you were stealing horses, you you wouldn't be stealing a horse that was not able to carry you. Maybe it just looked better. 
Or do you think it was just it purely was subjective view? Like, that's a sexy horse. That's a rotten horse over there. Yeah. They'll both carry a man, but that one is ugly. And I, I don't, don't want to have to look at it. I don't want the ugly horse. Yeah. Do you reckon they fought over them? Yeah. That's how they got caught. They were busy arguing <laughs> over who had to get on the ugly horse. I've just got visions of them slapping each other with their gloves. Yeah. <laughs> no, with, no dicks, with with the cloth. <laughs> They're just taking big rolls of cloth and just <laughs> wailing on each other while these two horses, one a sort of Olympian god version of a horse and then a troll horse. What Watch happened on. to the horses? Do you think they got returned to... Uh, I I believe they got returned to the owner because they definitely knew who he'd stolen them from, uh, who they'd stolen them from because they named the horse's owner. So uh-huh. I assume, but then I believe with, um, at one stage at least, any property found on a criminal was then forfeited and would go to the crown. <laughs> Which was it's another wheeze. I don't know if I don't know if there was still that that prerogative in place at this point in the in sixteen fifty, but there was definitely a point in history where if a thief was caught, the goods were still weirdly considered to be the thief's. So he Everything would forfeit it to the crown. So you could catch someone coming out of your house with your TV, and then you'd have to give it to the crown. Yeah, and they go, well, actually, that's that criminal's TV, and because he's going to be executed because it was worth more than one hundred thirty-one pound thirty. We're going to take it. And, you know, King Charles is going to have an extra flat screen TV. That doesn't seem very fair to me. No. No, I'd, I'd, I'd agree with you, but that was just the way things were. Just, you know, don't have anything worth stealing like most poor people did at the time. And you'll mm. be fine. Also, yeah. I wonder... Noted. You know, did, did they always enforce that? Did the king really want, you know, John of Halifax's gruel spoon? Or was he just like, you keep it? Nah, it was for a control thing, wasn't it? Any, everything's Put it really on the bonfire. Yeah. Now, as these two were found guilty on a Saturday, they were immediately put to death. But there had apparently been a change of mood in the town of Halifax, and the people didn't enjoy the tearing of necks quite as much as they had in the past. Times had moved on. Mm. It might Progress. have been a hangover from the fact that the king himself had had his head chopped off just the year before. Yeah. Um, or it might have been the fact that the new man in charge, Oliver Cromwell, and his Puritan backers were against the use of the death penalty for relatively petty crimes. So the, the yeah, because I suppose are... if you if you do that kind of thing for everyday stuff, mm. like the big stuff, kind of doesn't. It's like oversaturated, isn't it? Well, I I think you know it's that in for a penny, in for a pound. If you know that stealing the bread to feed yourself is going to lead to being killed why wouldn't you twin it with the caviar you know the the punishment's the same regardless you may as well enjoy the fruits yeah. of your crime yeah definitely but I, I guess for it was like mm, do we want to keep doing this because you know Oliver Cromwell's sort of in charge now and do we really want to antagonise the man look what he did to the king do we want to continue doing these summary executions because it might scary af yeah he might come and visit us do we do we really want that Mm -hmm. no seeing seeing if any of us had royalist leanings and might need to be uh persuaded otherwise through torture yeah either way whatever the reason the halifax gibbet was dismantled a few years later and while the stone base was left in place it slowly became overgrown and lost. That was until the early years of the Victorian era, when some workmen rediscovered the stone base, along with the headless skeletons of two men. 
which what? had presumably been lying in the centre of Halifax, undisturbed, for the previous near 200 years. In that overgrown... Just in an overgrown patch of weeds. That, would you reckon that was the last people to be executed? Or they just left them there? That's what no. they assumed, that they'd just left them there. No one had come to claim the bodies. They'd just left them there and everything had become overgrown. And then it was, well, what's the point? But they found two headless corpses. The smell must have been horrendous. Only for the first few years. Yeah. And there's not really anything to smell. There's just bleached bone. And the flies. Would eventually dissipate as well, I suppose. Mm, Although could flies, I mean, we're talking about industrialised town. I'm guessing there were a lot of chemicals in the air. Were there flies? Were there any any living things other than the the poor people working? Uh, No, probably not. (laughs) Now, the discovery of the stone base was considered at the time to be a major event in the town and was reported in the local paper, the Halifax Guardian, thusly. <clears throat> to the townspeople of Halifax, this relic of more turbulent times will possess many attractions and will no doubt be justly valued by them, as Halifax is the only town in Great Britain rendered famous by such a custom. And since its gibbet is the only one now in existence, this, together with its local association, and the fact it is the only antique in the town worthy of notice as <laughs> a backhanded compliment. <laughs> yeah. Although they added in brackets, the parish church accepted. Will no doubt ensure its preservation from further decay. Is it still there? It is still there. <gasps> you can go and see it to this very day. And not only can you see the stone base, but in 1974, it was decided to build a new though it has to be stressed non-working, replica of the original machine, Shut which up. you can still see to this day. If and you, what, just out in? on In the Market Square, if you take a stroll down the aptly named Gibbet Street in the direction of the Hebel Brook, you will see a working, a, 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 a non-working replica. I of, wonder how many people have had their gibbet. photo taken in that. Mm. Now, Hold on, I'm Googling it now. <gasps> That is magnificent. Isn't it just? However... If and that's in the same spot? That's the same spot, yeah. It's built on the original stone base. I love it. So that's been there since 1280, the base, at least. That's been a, that's been the designated site of execution in Halifax for, what, 750 years. That is magnificent. Isn't oh, it I love just? It. Yeah. If, however, you prefer the real deal... Then you can go and look at the original axe, which is kept in the town's pre-industrial museum and still hasn't been sharpened since it was first used nearly half a millennia ago. What? <laughs> so it's, it's there. Somebody kept it. Oh my God, I need to get myself to Halifax. Don't you just? And that is the story of the first head chopping machine in Britain. However, it was not the last. Because oh. less than five years after the last head was chopped off in Halifax a new device was up and running in Scotland with the creepy name The Scottish Maiden. Ah. But unfortunately, that's a story for another time. So I'll leave you with that dangling. That's the perfect way to end. Isn't and then what you need to do after that bit is like put some spooky like axe sound. Okay, I, c- I can like do that. better. And the source yeah. for this story... It's, it's somewhere I'm sure you will visit. It's the Guillotine Headquarters website, which, for all your guillotine fact needs, is available 
you just need to go onto any web browser and type in guillotine.dk. So that's Delta Kilo. Does that include the guillotine as in, can you remember the paper chopper at school? It does not cover stationery. It's it's only execution devices, really. Um, but that, that had the most in-depth and well-researched sort of um, article on the Halifax gibbet. There were other bits here, there and everywhere. Obviously, I read the book, the um, Halifax gibbet law in its true light that was written in like 1681, you know, where for some reason they used Fs for both Ss and Fs and it's really hard to read. Yeah, and the V will also be a U because why not? We're trying to save money here. <laughs> Who cares if it, it scrambles your brain trying to? Read it annoys it? me how we, as in British people, say W because mm. it's a double V. It's a V. You want double V? Yeah, like it's not a double. Like a double. It's not a double U. It's a double mm. V. Really irritating. But I suppose you... it can be a W if it's. Yeah, it, it does look a little bit like a W, though, doesn't it? If, you, if you're well, not if sharp you're with the angles at the bottom. Yeah, okay, fine. Maybe it's just um, people with lazy or soft grip when they were doing handwriting who got to mm. name it. My handwriting is quite, um, like, straight. Like, all of my letters are very, like, pointy. Mm. I believe um, that's um, a common trope among serial killers. Well, I mean, would we be surprised? It would work out for me because I'm sure you'd then um, allow me to write your biography. Um, oh, yeah. And you can be on the Netflix documentary. Yeah, yeah. I can be a talking head. Yeah. That'd be fun. I always Fine. knew he was a wrong one from the first moment I laid eyes <laughs> on him. There he was walking He's... through the centre of Lancaster with a teapot. What He's kind of st- man is this? He stayed in my house with my children and my wife. We were unsafe that night. <laughs> but we didn't know it. <laughs> seeing as how you, you you brought up you know the fact that your mum's got a small fan club mm-hmm. i've been i've been sort of trialing out a new name for our potential fans that we're going to have okay and i've put it to evie i've put it to jack um I, i'm wondering what your thoughts on the term poddy peeps would be poddy peeps whether you'd be happy to use that and to refer to people who listen as poddy peeps or whether you think it's juvenile or a bit embarrassing uh, it's your podcast you do what you like sunshine that's a um, that's an i hate it isn't it no <laughs> what was what are the other options there are is no that... other options this is okay well then that's what it is then <laughs> that's what it is what did jack say jack said he would never use the phrase and evie said that she would never use the phrase you're the first person who's actually given it the time of day i was just being nice to be honest so, so your true thoughts are it's terrible can't we like can it just yeah hi there it's emma chief organizer at consistently eccentric here to remind you all that if you like what you hear, you can catch up with all previous episodes and session series by searching for us on Acast, Spotify and iTunes. How fancy. You can also join us on Instagram at Consistently Eccentric Podcast, where we update on the weekly episode and post all of our bonus content for you lucky lot. See you next week. <laughs>